0: From the beautiful Art House Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Pivot, stories of people who've made a change. Welcome to The Pivot. My name is Andrew Osinga. My guest today is Jenny Dyer. Jenny is the executive director of Hope Through Healing Hands. They're a local Nashville organization that deals in humanitarian aid to Africa and uh, specifically advocacy. And so Jenny talks a lot about the different things that her organization does. Uh, She talks a lot about advocacy and the discipline of advocacy and how we use our voices to help those in need. There's a lot in this conversation to chew on. So Jenny's path is that she began her career as a book editor, thinking that she was going to be a professor. But very quickly, she was exposed to the other side of the world and the ways that she could help. So her pivot happened early on in her career. And she spent the last 15 to 20 years seeing firsthand the way the world has been changing for good. So I'm proud of myself because she mentions Bono a number of times. And not once was I like, do me a Bono story. Because part of me wants to do that. But um, this is not Bono's story. This is Jenny's. But I have a Bono story. Uh, and it turns out Jenny was in the room for this. We didn't talk about it in the interview, but we did actually after the interview was done, uh, realized we were at the same event in 2002, where Bono and Senator Bill Frist, uh, who is the who founded the organization that Jenny works for now, uh, he was at the time our senator from Tennessee and was the House Majority Leader. Um, he's since retired from that role. Um, so Bono and Senator Frist... And a lady from, I believe, Uganda who had HIV spoke at Vanderbilt in this conference room, uh, to a room full of like 400 people. It was doctors and musicians. So people who could actually do something tangibly to help sick people. And then people who had, um, an audience and who could help with advocacy. Um, I don't know that I really belonged in either group, uh, but I was really grateful to be there, um, I think Dan Hasseltine invited me and I was really thankful for that. So I'm I'm sitting there. Bono is, you know, I'm such a massive U2 fan. And um, I was so struck by the way that he spoke about this crisis. And it was before people were really talking about this. And to be honest, I really hadn't heard about it. And so he shared about it. Uh, Senator Frist shared about it. And until that point in my life, every time I'd ever heard a politician speak, it felt very um precise and rehearsed and uh, you know, lifeless. Um Senator Frist was as passionate as Bono. And that that's that's no easy feat. Um and then when the the woman spoke and shared her story, it was heartbreaking and uh it was really the first time that I had gotten a glimpse of what life was like for people who aren't like me. Um that was a big moment. But my Bono story is that uh, the, the event had started. We were eating some, you know, catered lunch, and we're making small talk with the people at our tables. Now, somebody was, was speaking at this point, and Bono kind of snuck in a side door, probably like through the kitchen, uh, and he was trying to be real quiet. But he, he opened the door and immediately walked into this giant tray full of plates and dishes that was um, on this little stand and just took it out, and it just... <laughs> And so everybody immediately looks over and here's the biggest rock star in the world standing there like, eh, sorry. Um, oh, it was it was a gift. It was a gift. I'll treasure that one. So that's my Bono story. Um, that one's a freebie. But I was so thankful to get to hear Jenny's story, um, her time with, with that organization, Data, and then One, and then what she does now with Hope Through Healing Hands. Not only is it an amazing story, there are a lot of places in the story where you might think, I want to help with that. And you can. Uh, HopeThroughHealingHands.org is the website she references a few times. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you want to get involved, lean in. In this conversation, as you listen, lean in. It's clear that she is really, really knowledgeable and passionate about this. So don't just put this on and do something in the background. Like, listen, she has so much good information to share and I want you to hear it. She just left and I'm excited to figure out how else can I get involved? How can I use my voice, um, whatever that is, to help. And I'm really encouraged. she she leaves us with some really good news to to hear that advocacy and health and and the ways that our government has been giving money to the rest of the world, um, and the way that they have been using that has made a difference. And not just a little difference, like a real difference. Um, the things that she's talking about, the, these programs, they work. And they are working, they have worked, and they will continue to work. And so as we lean in, um, that is not a wasted effort. And that's really encouraging. So turn up the volume, enjoy this conversation with Jenny Dyer. Can we agree that sometimes life gets hard? Having an outside guiding perspective helps us all get through those times well. We talk about it often on this podcast, so I want to tell you about some friends of mine who provide the perspective and guidance that can help you thrive, especially during difficult or transitional times. Global Counseling Network is their name. Global Counseling Network is not a group of life coaches, professional development people, HR specialists, or self-help specialists. They're more than that. They are the highest quality counselors that join you on the journey of life to provide trusted feedback and counsel. Your Global Counseling Network counselor is available anytime, anywhere, no matter where you are, based on your schedule. I know you have a lot going on, and trying to juggle it all can seem impossible at times. That's why I recommend my friends at Global Counseling Network as a partner to help you navigate life. Reach them now at globalcounselingnetwork.com. That's globalcounselingnetwork.com. Do this for you. New in Nashville is brought to you by the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. Do you ever struggle to understand if your work really matters and how it fits into the grand narrative of life? Well, the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work is asking and answering questions just like this every day through ongoing events, programming, and resources. Join them soon at one of their upcoming summer programs like their five-week Faith and Work 101 course or by applying to Gotham, their flagship nine-month Faith and Work Leadership Intensive. Be sure to use the code The Pivot, one word, for a 10% discount on any of their upcoming events and connect with them online at nifw.org. I've read your bio. You're okay. a very educated person. Um, and that's intimidating and also exciting. Um According to your bio, you got a PhD while you worked for Bono. And I want to know about that, but we'll get to that eventually. Okay. So now you've been active in humanitarian efforts for mm-hmm. the last 15 years, it seems. Yeah. Um, what led to you being... Like, how did you get interested in that? Was there something in your childhood that got you interested okay. in that? I know you grew up in Nashville. Like, how do you encounter the greater world living in Middle Tennessee?
1: Right. So... Um Yeah, I think I was always interested in social justice issues, even from a young age. I mean, you know, spent lots of time in high school in soup kitchens and, Mm. um, you know, after school programs for underprivileged children and these kinds of things. So I'd always had a kind of a heart for um, issues around socioeconomic issues and um, maybe women's issues um, and justice issues. I may not have been able to articulate that, but I was still sure. doing that. Um, and since a, from a young age, I was always uh, really fascinated with religion. Hmm. And um, my grandfather was a Church of Christ preacher. He and my grandmother went to Lipscomb. Um, so I was raised in a very conservative Home and knew the Bible frontwards and backwards by Sword the age drills. of like ten. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, <laughs> memorize those verses. Um, so you know, I was fascinated, but I, I knew I was going to study religion in college. I knew hmm. I wanted to go to graduate school and continue those studies. Um, so I think those two actually go hand in hand. I was I, I was compelled by. Um, my interest in um, scripture and what it was, what I was getting out of reading the scripture in the church, and then actually doing the work, and then those kind of came together somehow um, in my twenties as I was pursuing um, graduate work in Middle Tennessee. Yeah, it's not a coastal city, and I did come across global health. I came across AIDS in Africa. I mean, really, that.
0: Do you remember how you came across it? Because this would have been what the. Dude,
1: no, it was like 90s?
0: 2000, 2000ish. That was, that was before we really. Yeah. Were aware of it.
1: Yeah. Um, or I mean, it was very stigma. It was in Sometimes. the news a little bit, if you were watching the news. I'm trying to—so so you know what I, what happened was um, it was in the news, and I was between a master and a PhD. And my uh, professor, who I'd worked most closely with, his name mm-hmm. was uh, Volnigay, and um, he had pursued a grant with the Templeton Foundation— um, where Andy Crouch was recently, oh, yeah. okay. and um, got a got a grant to do a uh, conference on AIDS in Africa, science, and religion. And mm. nobody was really talking about it at the time. And he hired me to direct the conference and really pull in Nashville, political figures, religious figures, churchgoers, you know— uh, across Nashville sectors, bring them in, the community in, to talk about this pandemic that was um, underreported and mm-hmm. overlooked and nobody was really paying attention to, except Bono. Bono was paying attention to it. And um, so at the same time for the um, conference, I was working at Thomas Nelson. Okay. And um, was working with David Moberg and brought David to meet with Volney over a lunch, and by the end of the lunch, we decided to do a book for evangelicals on AIDS in Africa. Okay, so what
0: were you doing at Thomas Nelson?
1: So Thomas Nelson, I took a year and was a an editor
0: okay. in the reference department. Edi- so you're editing reference books. It was real exciting, yes. <laughs> like, like, give us a couple titles of books you might have... Gosh, I can't remember. I mean, they
1: were, they were like commentaries and okay. things like that My wife, at that,
0: probably around that same era, was doing was a copy editor for Thomas Nelson. Yeah. Freelance. We may have
1: worked together. Yeah.
0: She would she would be just sitting at home watching Oprah just proofreading the teen volleyball girls oh study Bible. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: And I was, I dabbled in some of that
0: too. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so you're at, at Thomas Nelson. So the opportunity you, you come across this whole world of information and yes. and people mm-hmm. and you go, Oh, I, I work essentially at a megaphone. Exactly,
1: and um, and there's this interesting, you know, coming together of a truly historic, um, global problem yeah. that people are not looking at, and people maybe don't want to look at. Um, and then you've got um, some interesting people in Washington talking about it, and then this Irish rock star. And why isn't the church getting involved? You know, as somebody in their 20s who's passionate about these kinds of issues. And then the question is how could we get the church involved? Yeah. And maybe we need to do some work in educating the church. So, uh, David agreed we should we should pull this book together, and it was a compilation of essays. Um, the title of the book was The Awake Project, Uniting Against the African AIDS Crisis. And we wound up getting essays from everybody from, I think, Charlie Peacock yeah. to Bono to Nelson Mandela to Desmond Tutu to Franklin Graham. So, it was just across the gamut, left to right, everyone saying we may not agree on everything, but we do agree that we alone can't solve this African issue, and neither can they, but together maybe we can start to tackle it. Hmm. And that was the first time I think the church was hearing this issue. And if you'll remember in the 90s and the 80s, of course, the HIV AIDS stigma, HIV AIDS um, uh, disease was very stigmatized because it was related to um, the gay community, to um, the drug community, this kind of thing. And honestly, Christians didn't want to get involved. And frankly, When I was meeting with pastors in 2000 through 2005, they didn't want to get involved. They would Mm. just say, I'm sorry, I can't can't do this. And I did that over and over and got negative response after negative response. And um, you may recall, um, Barna did a poll commissioned by World Vision then, and they asked evangelicals would they care for an AIDS orphan, and less than 3% said they would.
0: Really? In 2002,
1: so that that kind of gives you a breadth, anecdotally and
0: statistically, what and was that going was after. On. I mean, that was after like Magic Johnson had been had had yes, you know, Ryan and White had, had, yes. had been alive for ten years afterwards, like and was mm-hmm. fine, you know, and mm-hmm. wow,
1: yeah, there was a lot of stigma. I think there was a lot of race stigma. I think there was a lot of sexuality stigma. <clears throat> there was just stigma. So the work, it, the work was how can we. Rethink who our neighbor is. Mm. You know, if we are to call to love our neighbor, um, and I found that an interesting question and an interesting mission, if you will. I think so. Um, I think therein lives, the pivot, right? Like yeah. I was interested in becoming a professor of psychology of religion, and all of a sudden I found myself in. Um, involved in a very important global issue mm-hmm. for our generation and one where I really felt compelled to um, be a catalyst to change the mind of the church on these issues.
0: Yeah. Instead. So, so you put the book together. Or were you still at Thomas Thomas Nelson as you were doing that book?
1: I, I wound up... Um, I was uh, kind of like your wife. I I stayed on as a copy editor and worked Mm -hmm. loosely with them as a consultant. But um, yeah, I finished the book with Thomas Nelson um, while I was pursuing a PhD, kind of a little
0: bit. Yeah. So then how did that lead to you working full time for, was it data? Is that where you started working after that? Yeah. Okay. And does data still exist? Has that become one? Yes. Good questions. Okay. I've never been totally certain about which thing was which. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, So, so in two thousand and one, I think data was launched as a five hundred one c three by both Bobby Shriver and Bono and a ragtag group of British and American activists. Frankly, Jamie Drummond and Lucy Matthew and the list goes on. Um, And you know there are these. Just very passionate people around debt relief, around um, trade issues, around HIV-AIDS, and how those came together. Data was this horrible name, frankly, right? Because it sounds like a tech company. Um, for debt aid, not AIDS, but aid, trade, Africa. And, yeah. And, um, for democracy, accountability, and transparency. So, anyway, who can remember that? But, um, but I... At, when I was doing this book, The Awake Project, Bono loved the book and mm. um, bought, I don't know, 500, 1,000 copies or whatever and was passing them around wow. on his Heart of America tour in 2002, which kind of launched the whole Data One campaign That's when he
0: came and spoke with Senator Frist at
1: Lose. Vanderbilt. Yes. Yeah, I was there. So was I on the front uh, row. So Okay. Yeah, so there there are paths meet. Um, So, yeah, so when we did the book, Bono was excited. I wound up meeting with him and his team when they came through Nashville, and they were like – and Senator Frost was becoming majority leader. He was on the eve of that um, because that was World AIDS Day. Um, 2002. And it was just right before President Bush announced the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief. So all of this is just like building and growing and momentum. And Wheaton was a part and Willow Creek was a part and Southeast Christian and Louisville was a part, you know, so there's just growing faith in middle America um, backing around this HIV AIDS crisis and funding. Um, But because Senator Frost was majority leader, I just, I kind of was just the right I was just at the right place at the right time. I was very lucky, and um, was you know uh, connected with Thomas Nelson. Was connected to the Christian artist community. Was connected to Nashville from being here. Yeah. Um. And and was in the right state with the right politician who was behind this, and so they just asked me would I lead their faith outreach, and that was what was unique hmm. about Data, and that was what was unique I think about Bono, where in previous in the previous decades where HIV AIDS was so stigmatized, you had the left really leading the cause um, to, you know, combat the virus and, and, and these kinds of things. And the church just stayed away. I mean, it was a, it was a culture war issue. But Bono said, no, we're going to have the church in the middle of this. In fact, we are going to ask them to lead this charge. And um, I think rallying the right faith leaders, Franklin Graham was a part Rick Warren became a part, Bill Hybels, and kind of the list goes on, um, and getting kind of key conservatives to align and take a stand, you had the church then kind of repent and follow suit. And then you find like today, I mean, lots, I mean, how many hundreds of churches either have HIV AIDS clinics here in in their own local communities or they're supporting these issues abroad, Um But I think it kind of took that um, prophetic voice of Bono outside the country, outside our conservative communities to really kind of wake up the church to say, "Okay, you know, we have our brothers and sisters in Africa hollowing out a society from a a disease that they cannot control. And we can do something about it.
0: Why Mm. are we not? You know? Yeah. And so, I mean, so you watched a culture's reaction to this issue change, like eye to eye, as you were talking to people day day in, day out, when did you start to see a shift in how people, when did that 2% of 3% mm-hmm. of people that would would care for that, that orphan, when did that shift to becoming that group sort of leading that charge?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was critical that the leadership was taking a stand and, and and I think it's taken more fifteen years or more for the people in the pews, I like to say, to follow suit. I mean, frankly, yeah. So that shift has taken a very long time, but with the immediate leadership and credibility and gravitas of say Rick and Kay Warren, yeah, I think you began to see quick, um, quick turns by other leading. Um, uh, faith leaders. I mean, you had uh, Charlie Peacock hosted right here yeah, at, at the art house, um, Bono, to come meet with about 40 different uh, Christian music artists. And Amy Grant was here and Jars of Clay and Michael W. Smith and a host of others. And that community immediately got it. And I was like, we are on board. We will do this work. We're here to spread, this, spread the word here. Um, so you had these various sectors of what I call the evangelical culture, um who were um taking leadership and promoting awareness and doing advocacy at different times and i think that all together when there was kind of a chorus of vo- the voices you see the church
0: begin to soften and follow suit yeah now what okay so what so you were the faith outreach coordinator for mm-hmm. data what did that mm-hmm. look like day in day out for you
1: so that was um really Meeting with pastors or artists or nonprofit leaders or um, uh, college professors or presidents of colleges, um, athletes, actors, I mean, kind of that whole gamut, speakers at conferences, anyone who basically had a following. And it's not too different from what I do today and mm-hmm. would call them and meet with them nationally and um, and just Talk to them about these issues. Ask them if we could, you know, take an hour of their time and meet with them over lunch or whatever. And you share the, you know, the issue Mm -hmm. and educate them on them, uh, on the issue. And then you ask them, would they do anything to, you know, to help Combat the this crisis, and um, and would they join you to do advocacy? So that was the goal with data, and is of course the goal now with one campaign too is advocacy, and that's a little different for Christians too, hmm. because Christians love to pray about the problem, and they love to give about the problem, and those two are critical pieces. Um, but I think advocacy is is still an overlooked practice of discipleship. How so? Well, I think I think that Christians confuse advocacy and getting involved with advocacy, which is really just about lifting your voice for someone who may not have uh, may not have a voice, kind of a voice for the voiceless. Um, and it's it's getting involved in what they think is politics, but it's n- it's actually not. It's not getting involved with politics. It's a getting involved with policy not politics. Hmm. So there, there's a misunderstanding there, and, and there's a bit of a stigma there. But it doesn't matter the administration. I've worked on these issues across the entire Bush administration, across the entire Obama administration, and now here we are with the Trump administration. So left, right, no matter the member of Congress, um, these issues of global health and development are moral issues. They're ethical issues. They're also national security and economic issues, but they're bipartisan issues. So it's important we get both Democrats and Republicans on board. But the key for the church is to let their representatives know that they want to fully fund these issues. Fully fund them out of the U.S. government. To let their political representatives know. Yes. Which is, again, not politics. It's advocacy. And it's advocacy in the form of shaping policy. I mean, the reality is the world's poorest don't have lobbyists in Washington. I mean, they don't have people you know that are million paid millions of dollars on k street um to champion uh their needs um and another so so we are we are those people, right the church is those people we are there to champion the needs of the world's poorest. Another huge misunderstanding and myth is that of more than fifty percent of Americans believe that. Uh, foreign assistance is uh, 28% of our US budget but it's not do you know how much it is i want to put you on i mean the spot. i've heard it
0: i've heard uh-huh. it's less than 1% that's right so
1: it is it's less than 1% where does that 28% come people,
0: from people they
1: just it's it's, it's just one of those, a myth one of those yeah. things. it's like an urban legend or something <laughs> yeah. i don't know <laughs> so you hear from these people gosh we're just giving weight. you know we're giving so much money already away to yeah. the rest of the world but we're not. We're given less than 1%. Less than a penny to your dollar goes to fighting HIV and AIDS, fight, you know, providing and clean water. And that's worldwide, water, all, education, every
0: different issue. Everything.
1: Malaria, TB, maternal and child health, nutrition, the whole thing, the whole gamut. In fact, if you, you hone it down to just the global health account, which is a, a portion of the international affairs account, which is the entire foreign assistance, 1%, it's only 0.25. So it's a quarter of 1%. So when we're talking about HIV AIDS and nutrition and maternal and child health and international family planning, which does not include abortion, by the way, all of these important issues, it's just a quarter of 1%. I mean, it's, it's like $9 billion a year total. And we lead the entire world in that giving, really? And yes, um, in terms of amount. And we also lead in, in that leadership. We are able to leverage the world's um, wealthiest nations to give as well. So our leadership is of paramount importance, not just for how much we're giving, but how the rest of the globe responds and gives year to year.
0: Yeah. So
1: it's it's just it's important knowledge to have, um, these are important myths to debunk. Um, and advocacy is a critical, um, a critical piece of what I think is the cr- Christian
0: practice. Hmm. Man, that is really fascinating. There's so much to unpack there. So okay, so you did that role at data mm-hmm. for how long?
1: It was about five years, five or six years. Okay,
0: and when did data shift and become the One Campaign? Is it the same That's thing? That's right.
1: No, so they were different entities. Um, we actually launched the One Campaign in um, two thousand and four okay. in Philadelphia um, at the Liberty Bell. I was there um, with Bono and a host of other NGOs and faith leaders. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and Michael Drew Smith was there. Yeah. Jars of Clay was there. Um, And that entity kind of became its own thing, which was really what data was meant to create, which was to engage what we think about as grassroots. So not just the faith community, but students, chapters in schools, soccer moms, um, grassroots America on these issues. They wanted to be the, the NRA of global health. You know, they wanted three million Americans to take a yeah. stand continually for this one percent, and that—that thus that, the name, the One Campaign. It oh. comes out of that. Okay. So that was, in fact, it was
0: called for the one percent mm-hmm. of who are the one percent?
1: The one, what? No, for the one percent, which is the budget.
0: Oh. To, that oh, To that's support what that one
1: percent of the foreign assistance. Really. But that was so confusing that. <laughs> that gets lost. you
0: told me and I just had to ask yeah, you again exactly yeah. and it was
1: we had all these other banners which are like well I may have some in, back in my attic or something yeah. that says like one percent for whatever and, and people were like wait what and so mm-hmm. finally it was just like just sing one and we'll call it the one campaign <laughs> I mean it kind of just was that so, um, but uh, one grew and became, you know data was I don't know Twelve people between London and DC and me and a couple other consultants, and one was like a hundred-person organization. It was a totally different. And they were kind. selling the Gap
0: T-shirts and the.
1: Yeah, well, or, that was the Red Campaign. Oh, that was the Red, which Campaign. is another sister. Which was organization, linked, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, okay. the, but a different entity okay. altogether because that's the corporate piece. That's the idea that consumers can get involved in global AIDS crisis through just choosing. I mean, I used to have you know a, an Apple uh, cover for your phone a red yeah. f- or a Gap T-shirt that said "inspired" or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. These kinds of red products, and, they, and and it's still a thriving business today and a huge contributor to the Global Fund really? to fight AIDS, TB, and malaria. They're one of the. I mean, they're larger than some countries' donations um, to really? that mm-hmm, to that multilateral. Mm-hmm. Um, institution. So it's doing, that's doing incredible work. One is doing incredible work. They have grown over the years. Um, they do have millions of of followers, not just in the United States, but around the world now. Yeah, And it's become global. But at that, that point, it was, it was just time for, for me to leave. In part, honestly, it was, it was personal. I just had my first child. Um, I didn't want to fly to Washington every other week. Yeah, I was ready to kind of settle in. And um, at the same time, Senator Frest had decided to step down as a citizen legislator. He had promised Tennesseans that he would only serve two terms, that he mm-hmm. wanted to put self impose a term limits. And um, in 2007, uh, we started talking and he just said, look, I've got a, a global health organization here in Nashville. Do you want to run it with me? And I just said, yeah, that would be perfect. I mm-hmm. can stay at home. I can be with my kids my husband and and at the same time still yeah. um, tackle these these issues
0: that I'm very much passionate about. Okay. And that that organization is that Hope Through Healing Hands? Yes. Okay. So you've been there for almost 10 years, years 10 now. Years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And what is your role there? What does Hope Through Healing Hands do?
1: So, it's it yeah, it's a little different and for, the biggest difference is that it's so much smaller, right? We're just hmm. a small um, Nashville-based humanitarian organization. In the footsteps of Senator Dr. Frest, he was a cardiac thoracic transplant surgeon before he became a politician. Yeah. And um, he has spent 25, 30 years going into really conflict nations and spending a month to six weeks of his time doing surgeries.
0: Really? Wow. mm
1: -hmm, With Samaritan's Purse, World Medical Missions. Um, And so in his footsteps, we created a nonprofit program. Um, the Frisk Global Health Leaders Program and it supports medical students, nursing students, public health students who want to go out into low-income countries and provide clinical care for the most part. Yes. So the first Global Health Leaders Program provides um, small grants to medical students, nursing students, public health students, and they go over and provide clinical care mm-hmm. and training of community health workers um, in in these remote areas sometimes, in urban areas sometimes. And they spend at least a month there. So this isn't a poverty tourism. They're not just popping in and out. They're yeah. they're there for four to, four weeks to six months. Wow. um doing doing medical missions. Yeah. So, it's investing in medical missions and in young health professionals to continue
0: their careers or passion in global health. Wow. So, if people are listening want to get involved in that, how do they reach how do they find you? How do they
1: um, just go to hopethroughhealinghands.org and it's all spelled out all right. fully. hopethroughhealinghands.org, and um, you know on the website you can find out all about our Frisk Global Health Leaders Program. You can follow our leaders in country; they write blogs continually hmm. and do video updates and this kind of thing. So you can follow them in Guyana or Kenya or Southeast Asia or wherever they are um, today. Yeah. Um, so that's that's our flagship
0: program. Okay,
1: but we all I would say the majority of our work, like working with data, is still in advocacy. And um, we have the honor and privilege of working with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, hmm. um, the Eleanor Cook Foundation, Friends of the Global Fight, and others to continue to champion a variety of global health issues um, today. And yeah. that work looks similar to what. I described earlier, engaging faith leaders across the evangelical culture, um, and, and those we call grass tops rather than grassroots. So we're out mm. to really engage leaders to, um, to, in turn, do advocacy through signing on to letters, um, making phone calls to their members of Congress, to uh, flying them to Washington to meet with members of Congress on the Hill. Um, and our key issues now are um, what we call healthy timing and spacing of pregnancies, um, nutrition, and we support the Global Fund to fight AIDS, TB, and malaria.
0: Yeah. Okay, now I've uh, I had lunch with somebody else who's working at Hope Through Healing Hands, and they mm-hmm. were telling me about those different programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and the, big pu- the big question for us was, would we sign on to this letter to, uh, for our government to pass the spending bill with the um, all that foreign aid intact, right? right and and that just happened right right it, it actually did. did happen, yes, which we were really worried that it wasn't going yeah, to yeah
1: it was it was a scary year last year, frankly, for those of us on the front lines of global health, um, the recommended cut out of this administration we had not seen that level of funding recommended by um the Trump administration since prior to the Reagan administration. So it would have been a very severe draconian cut.
0: So that less than one percent that goes to global mm-hmm. health, that point twenty-five. Yes. It per- would have all been slashed
1: that. by over thirty percent. If 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 the president's budget yeah. had held. But I think because of our deep work across the last two administrations and again going back to this is not about politics this mm-hmm. is about policy we enjoy champions across the aisles left and right and you know in this very divided polemic time it's one of the few issues that members of Congress can truly come together celebrate and agree on yeah you know and they want to do it. they want to support you know I mean this is a these are life and death, this is life-and-death funding for millions of people around the world, and we have the opportunity to, to save lives. Um, so because of that uh, and this longevity, Congress refuted the, rec- the recommended budget and the recommended cuts. And they not only fully supported it by 100 percent, they actually increased it by 4 really? percent, higher than the Obama administration this year. So that was – That's great. Yeah, it was no less than a miracle, frankly. If you had asked me this time last year, Hmm. I was hand-wringing and throwing pasta on a wall trying to figure out what (laughs) would even work, you know, in terms of advocacy to do this. But it did. It passed. We all celebrated. um, And here we are in what's called the fiscal year 19 because you always plan the budget the year ahead. And once again, the president has recommended, again, a cut of over 30%. But because of... The now um, passing of the omnibus and we know that Congress will restore the funding. Everybody is far more relaxed. But at the same time, we have all doubled down on our advocacy. So we're doing twice as much work as we ever have. But I think there's not an internal panic that... I mean, it's just when you when you've been to these countries, when you've been to Ethiopia or Guatemala, and you've seen our dollars in action, and you know you can connect your tax dollar to Maria in her home getting access to nutrition, and you know if she doesn't have access to that. There isn't necessarily another safety net, like period. Yeah. So you know how critical this funding is.
0: This is, and we're talking like HIV/AIDS medication, yes. Mosquito nets, food.
1: Yes, Millions. clean water million kind of stuff yeah exactly education um it's it's really important. it's just not where we need to trim our budget it It would be a haircut trim less than one percent than if we were to really make effective cuts in other areas and it and it may be some of the best money we spend in terms of saving lives yeah
0: well, and you you mentioned too, it's not just uh. That it's also a, so, a, a national security issue, and it's also a, an economic issue. Like absolutely, the things that we do in that in that area really affect how we interact with every other nation, and with how the rest of the world views America.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for instance, economically, for every one dollar we spend in nutrition, um, a country saves forty-eight dollars. I mean that's just one example. Water is similar, not as much, not as drastic. For every one dollar spent, it's like a sixteen dollar return. Um, similarly, with um, healthy timing and spacing of pregnancies, access to contraceptives, education around uh, natural family planning, these kinds of things, okay. s- saving money across the board. I mean it it can, it can be the the. The one inter- These interventions are critical for moving a nation from poverty to actually being sustainable. Yeah. So it's not even just about the family and, you know, someone, life or death. It's actually about the vitality of an entire nation.
0: Yeah. Man. Okay. And you, you've said this a couple of times, the, the healthy spacing of, and timing of pregnancy, which is how you avoid yes. saying the word family planning. Yeah, it
1: is kind of. Yeah, let's... <laughs> Um, Well, again, um, you know, I was at Q Conference yesterday Mm -hmm. talking about these same things, and— and, and the first thing I'd say is that in family planning to so many equals abortion. Like, it's a, a euphemism in the minds of many conservatives, my mother included, right? She was the first person I came and told we were going to do family planning, um, who had worked at Hope Clinics for 20 years. The reality is, again, a myth that Christians, I think, or conservatives don't understand is that when you're talking about family planning and global health, it does not include abortion. In fact, there's multiple laws to prohibit. Um, use of funding for abortion or even counsel about abortion um, that are strongly held. The Helms Amendment of 1973 prohibits it. And then currently the Mexico City policy not only prohibits it, but um, prohibits funding to any institution that um, provides services for abortion, Hmm. period. So it's kind of a double bind there under, um, and this is usual for Republican administrations. So you take that off the table altogether, and you think about um, the average age of young women in developing nations being 16 when they get married. And you find out the statistic that um, if a 16 year old can just wait till she's 20. To have that first child, to have that first pregnancy, she's five times more likely to survive the pregnancy complications of pregnancy and childbirth. Wow, birth.
0: five times. Five
1: times, and you learn that pregnancy for a young teen girl in developing nations is the number one cause of death. I mean, these are li- This is a oh life gosh. and death situation for young women, and it, it we're talking, and we're not even talking about you know, issues around sexuality. We're talking about young married women needing to, with their spouse, wait on a pregnancy. And that's what we call healthy timing of pregnancy. So she can be healthy. Yeah. Um, And then the second is spacing of pregnancies. If she can space those pregnancies three years apart, the child is twice as likely to survive, Mm. studies show. So it's not just a maternal mortality issue. It's an infant mortality issue as well. So um being able to do that successfully does mean either an intervention of a contraceptive or a very successful natural family planning program yeah. and they and, and over 120 uh, sorry over 220 million women around the world say they want access to this but they don't have it right now yeah and thus you have a catholic woman melinda gates who also doesn't want to talk about family planning mm-hmm. from her background. <laughs> yeah. Leading the charge on these issues and asking Bill Frest and me, how do we get, you know, the church on board these issues? And I mean, what
0: is that conversation like?
1: It's well, we're both very passionate about saving lives. And yeah. we know that, you know, saving the lives of the vulnerable is what scripture calls us to do. And you know, family planning like HIV AIDS has been a long time culture war issue due to the rhetoric and if we can just rethink the importance again of truly what it is which is truly healthy timing and spacing of pregnancies like yeah just there's no reason to even use the word family planning yeah and um and providing that for women who don't have access to that for families who don't have access to that it shows not only does it help the health, the the Um, the health of the entire family because it lets mom go back to work. She can feed all her kids, all the kids. She can afford for all the kids to go to school. Mm -hmm. She's not having seven kids. She's having two. It changes actually the whole shape of a nation, um, which is called a demographic dividend. So again, it's another... I I think honestly that um, this issue is the axis issue for global health. Um, If we can tackle... Healthy timing spacing of pregnancies for women, um, I think we can actually we can actually achieve what are now called the Sustainable Development Goals because it does um, this trickle down effect, if you will, and affect hunger and gender equality and education and yeah. maternal health and child health and the whole gamut of issues. Um, if you can start with prevention and having just the right timing and the right spacing. Yeah. But you have to know all that to know how to support it.
0: Yeah. Man. Okay, so how if people want to get involved in this, like how do how does just an average not grass top person
1: mm-hmm,
0: help? Uh,
1: so the a any, anybody should be able to lend their voice and lend their name to this issue, and we welcome everyone to the table for this. Um, again, you can go to hopethroughhealinghands.org backslash advocacy, and on that page we have a form you can fill out, and it's, it'll take you under 30 seconds. It's just kind of your name and title and zip code. And and you can check which global health issues you would like to support, nutrition, HIV AIDS and including healthy timing and spacing of pregnancies. And we will take this letter with your name to it that you see on the page, on the website. Um, and we'll take that to Washington for you, to your representative and to your mm. senator. So we will actually do the work for you. All you have to do is spend 30 seconds on our website, um, letting awesome. us know you support these issues.
0: That's great. Okay. So you and you know, you're married, you have a couple kids. Mm-hmm. How old are your kids?
1: So I have two boys, Reese is 10 and Oliver is seven.
0: Okay. And do they understand what you do? What do they think about what you do?
1: Well, uh, they they know that I, um, I, I do travel to developing nations around the world. Some, so so they just, know mommy has gone to yeah. Africa or Central America or Haiti or whatever. Yeah. And um, they know that I'm very interested in letting um, – Mothers and children in particular have access to health care. So I mean I just talk about it like we get we get to go see Dr. Keffer at Old Harding Pediatrics mm-hmm. and and a lot of children don't have access to that. I mean they don't have access to a doctor so um, I work to provide access to that by um, our medical missions program or through advocacy um, to our US government to support that kind of um, health care.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Have you have you taken them? To see any other countries or? I
1: have not. I think they're, they're. I don't know. I mean, some people have, have definitely taken their kids. Yeah. And I just haven't. There's a lot of shots involved. And... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of shots. <laughs> I just, I haven't done that yet. Yeah, I haven't yeah. been that adventurous. Oh, man. But I, I hope yeah. to do it soon.
0: Yeah. Well, that's really cool. So what's, so what's next for Hope Through Healing Hands? What's next for you, Are you in this role?
1: yeah, so um you know, and thinking about pivoting and in the you know this podcast, but also thinking about um speaking yesterday, you know, I, I talked about Paul and and um, Tim writing a letter to Timothy saying to you gotta run the race and stay the course and keep the faith. I mean, I have been doing this for fifteen to twenty years, and yeah. it is a marathon. One thing we didn't talk about is just really the good news, and just super in brief. um, Over since 1990, over the last 25 years, the good news is this: our generation has led a historic and epic story, if you will, on defeating extreme poverty and infectious disease. And the numbers, the statistics show it. Um, since 1990, we've been able to cut the number of people living in extreme poverty, not just by half, but by 75%. Really? If you look at it, at, at people living at $1.75 a day. I mean, think about that in the face of increasing global, uh, increasing population growth. So we, you know, no other generation has been able to do that. And then alongside of that, we've been able since 1990 to cut the number of deaths of those dying from tuberculosis, those dying from malaria, those dying from HIV and AIDS in half. And then also we've been able to cut in half the number of children who die every day from those simple mm-hmm. things like pneumonia, a cold, a mosquito bite, uh, malaria or diarrhea, Um In 1990, there were over 12 million children that died every year from these simple things. Today, Mm -hmm. it's less than 6 million. And the same goes for maternal mortality. Twenty, uh, 25 years ago, um, women were dying from issues around pregnancy and uh, and childbirth, like we were talking about. Today, that number's been cut in half. Wow. And- and people don't know this story. I no. mean, it's just under The media has not shared it. Um, Bill Gates has kind of got a megaphone if you ever follow him and Melinda. I mean, they're sharing this story. Um, but we've got to keep up this momentum. We know how to do this. We know how to defeat these clearly diseases. Working. We know how to defeat extreme poverty. Um, and we're halfway there. So, and and we've done it all for less than a penny to the dollar of our U.S. budget, and we're leading the world on this. So, you know, my charge to the church is really just stay at the helm, stay, you know, let's finish this race. It is a marathon. We're going to have to stay in it for another 20 years, but um, we really do have the opportunity to defeat these diseases and defeat these needless, preventable, treatable illnesses that lead to you know, deaths for millions around the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a big answer to who is my neighbor.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's everybody's your neighbor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How encouraging was that? There's so much going on in this world, but we're not helpless. And, um, if you have the ability to listen to a podcast, that means you're connected to the internet and you have some sort of device and you have a voice that can be used um, to help those less fortunate. Please do that. So hope healinghands.org. Jenny, it was a real treat having you over here. So please go check that out. Sign your name. Help out. Thanks for listening to The Pivot. Everybodypivots.com. Andrewosenga.com. Uh, appreciate your support. It's always a joy making this for you. Have a great week and we will be back soon. Now go do something awesome.